worship album. I was really thinking I was like the king of like worship music and I toured a whole bunch of Anglican churches telling them I need to tell people about Jesus because I knew everything. Um, and uh, which is really funny. I'm making, I'm playing that up because it's kind of the opposite of what I'm talking about today. And um, which is funny. Uh, God took a different path with me probably. So um, kind of like Matt was sharing last night, I had a, a pastoring experience where um, it was very much a manure experience with my oversight. And... Um, and that's not, we're good friends and we still talk and have coffees together and so on, but it was incredibly toxic. And for me, I walked into this charity called Streetwork, which started out of a bunch of lay people who wanted to do something about homelessness in Chatswood in the 80s. Um, literally, they weren't pastors, they weren't leaders, they didn't have any training in youth work or anything. They just, literally, the guy that started at Peter Hobbs, who has since won an Order of Australia Medal, was stepping over a homeless person, getting on the train to go to work, and was like, that shouldn't happen. And so he stopped to talk to them and they were like 18. Um, and we're kind of returning to homelessness levels that we saw in the 80s in Australia right now. It's kind of the trajectory we're on, which shouldn't be, eh? Mm. And, um, and we do so much more than homelessness now. Um, so back then it was a bunch of well-intentioned church volunteers, uh, just feeding people, getting them somewhere to sleep. Um, it's evolved now into a very much a, a very professional youth service, and uh, we primarily run a mentoring program, which is a one-on-one tailored empowerment, strengths-based, um, which for some of those of you who might be in the industry would... Probably would say it looks a bit like case management, but we really don't sit in an office. We go to where a young person is, find them sleeping in the national park, and we just start to build a relationship. Um, and then they set the goals, not me. So I think you really smell and need to do something about your hygiene, but they want to get a job. So we'll work our way there, all right, together. <laughs> and, um, and we support them in doing what they want to do. We have a really high success rate, so we're loved by facts and juvenile justice. They give us so many young people to work with. And I started out as a youth worker who was a youth pastor who had no idea, but just went, this is what the church should look like. Um, it was just so cool. We had these Monday mornings. We used to pray together and, and go out into the streets. And, um, and uh, we're not really like that anymore. I'm starting to reconnect us with all the churches in the area and stuff and, and, uh, and rekindle that sort of, because a lot of our directors aren't Christian and stuff anymore. Um, but we still do really great work and I find it really rewarding. And, and I'll probably share some stories of some of the young people I work with and I've worked with over the years as well, um, which it's just been so humbling for me. Many of the young people I work with will one day be my boss. They're just so incredible, but we just don't stop to talk to them when they're sitting there with a little sign asking for money. Um, and uh, I think every person is really special. And I think um, it uh, increases for me personally the value of what Jesus did for me when I see how much, how special everyone is. Um, and uh, it's, it's a humbling experience and uh, a challenging one. When you think of like in 2001, I'm going around telling everyone how they need to tell everyone about Jesus because I know what I'm doing. Um, as a young Christian and to like you know what I've got a lot to learn um, but God's big and God's good and uh, we've got a lot of work to do out there yeah so. I think I went too deep real fast then, hey? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm happy to stand here but are you recording? yes that's on yeah. and going All right. can I say pray? please do go <laughs> Father we want to stop again and recognise that you're speaking to us right away So we open our hearts to you and bless Tim now in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I'm going to give something away and I didn't ask the boss's permission. I call it the boss as a joke, but I got a record that I made a couple of years ago and it's not a church record, although God's in there. Um, Who wants one? I'm going to throw it at you, but this could kill someone, all right? I warned you. It's yours. Enjoy. If you don't like it, keep it to yourself. And, um, 
I am going to do a song off it to start up because it's kind of along the theme of what um, I'm going to be talking to you about. Um, whether I've been praying up and debating with the wife what's what God wants to say to you guys today. And, and um, I'm going to do a song called Alive, which is the first record off that. Um, but I just want to make sure my guitar's not feeding the It's not so loud. It's all good. I'm like, I'm doof doof going on my guitar. It's amazing. So this song's called Alive, and I'll tell you all about it after I've sung it. And like with the CD, if you don't like it, keep it to yourself.
I'm a bit of a roamer, but I've uh, limited myself to a pulpit, so maybe I'll keep it on the stand. Um, <clears> that song's an interesting one for me because it's really significant in my personal journey. And one of the things Matt in the brief was stories from the journey, right? So I want to share with you um, one of the most significant things God did with me in my path. And I've kind of hinted at it already in talking about just how um, king of the world I thought I was in my ministry. And how in many many, um, um, respects I built myself a bit of a Tower of Babel. Um, and that song Alive, I think I thought it was a bit of a popular song when I wrote it. I try to be poetic and a bit indirect with the meaning because I do sing it in pubs and stuff a lot. Um, was thinking, I've always thought as a young Christian that it was all about getting to Jesus at the end. Yeah, That it was all about the destination. And Paul's to live as Christ, die as gain kind of messed me up once I started to get a handle on it. And that actually... This step of the journey is where I'm meant to be. And that Jesus is here. And that the end is just better. And as a young 20-something-year-old who's trying to make sense of a career and ministry and being single and a whole bunch of things that um, weren't necessarily my plan, trying to make sense of that the destination wasn't what it was all about, but this step is really important. So when we're talking about stories from the journey, um, uh, I actually want to talk a lot about, um, we have this inbuilt, in our DNA, uh, pursuit of happiness, yeah? Every person has it, and there's a script, I've been in youth ministry for like 17 years, so every kid seems to have this script and figure that it's normal, that you are born, you learn to walk, you go to school, at some point after that you um, fall in love by a housemate babies hopefully have enough money to retire and then die. Yeah? Some version of that story, and you have ages lined up with each of the steps. So if I'm at this point and I'm still not yet married, the wheels are starting to fall off. Yeah, or I'm at this point, I haven't got a house yet. What the heck? You live in Sydney. It's normal. (laughs) There's a script that we think we're supposed to follow. Yeah? And everything that speaks to us reinforces that script because with every single one of us, we... Rinse and repeat. We have kids and then they get the same script. And and to me that didn't that didn't make sense in the idea to live as Christ and to die as game. Like all of those things are fine and good and you should do those things. But it wasn't about doing those things and then getting Jesus. And then being in paradise. For some reason this step on the journey was really, really important and I actually had to make this step home. I had to stop being discontent and looking to the end and start to go, Jesus, what am I doing right now? I think that's a big part of the journey for me getting out of songs and sermons on Sunday as a minister into coffees and um, a lot of pancakes, let's be honest, with young people um, in cafes one-on-one. And, um, but that journey is so important and there's a, a value that Jesus places on life to the point that it's a tragedy when a life is lost. And there's an incredible debt that can never be repaid for a life that is sacrificed for another. Yeah? It's crazy. When I was a young youth leader and a worship leader in my church, um, a little movie called it came out called Gladiator. I don't know if I'm showing my age, but I was young and I thought it was the bomb. Um, 
every, um, every leader from my church, the senior pastor took a bunch of us blokes to hang within church. For some reason, we were all blokes. And um, you'll find out later that I like having girls and guys together. We'll figure that out later in the conversation. <laughs> I've got ADHD, so I follow the rabbit. Sorry if it comes up. <laughs> clap and I come back again. So... I'm all stimulated, which makes me talk really fast, so I keep my mind on track. Yeah, she claps, she's bringing me back. We're a team. I grew up reading Asterix. Anyone here read Asterix growing up? Yes. Awesome. So I, I didn't know anything about this movie Gladiator I was going to see. In those days, we didn't have YouTube, so you didn't have basically trailers that were spoilers playing every time you try to watch anything, so you didn't know what you're going in to see. All I knew was that there were Romans in it, and I loved Asterix, so it's going to be good. Yeah? I'll, I'll give her money later. <laughs> That's what we get. <laughs> I, um, I walked out of that movie with all these men who were all like gurus in leadership and I wanted to follow Maximus, not them. And it took me forever to figure out why. And it's been, what, 14, 15 years since that movie's come out and I've, I reckon I've nailed it down to what I loved about Maximus. I know he's fictitious. It's not in the Bible. What I loved about Maximus was his humility. It's a characteristic of leadership we never ever talk about. We talk about professionalism, we talk about clear communication, we talk about vision and strategy. Humility. And it's such a tricky thing to master. The second you think you've acquired humility, you've lost it, right? You're like, I am the most humble! <laughs> Finally! Um, so it like life becomes a pursuit. If you actually want to be humble, you have to pursue humility and continue to choose humility and you never get to the point where you're humble enough. Maximus tells his soldiers at the start of the movie at this first battle, which as a pastor you're not supposed to recommend violent stuff in that, but he says to them, I'll see you on the battlefield. And he, they know that he'll be standing with them in the mud and they're so desperate to get back to their families and so on and probably not even thinking of Rome, probably fighting for their survival in reality. But the way in which he stands with them, and he is one of them, even though he's the general of the legion, I've loved that. And I've always, no, I've more recently started to really contemplate the way in which we engage with someone will always set the course for our relationship. I say it again for those of you that just started writing. The way in which we engage with someone will set a course of our relationship. So in my song I was singing about throwing the sails up on the ship and letting the wind, and if those of you that study the Bible know that the wind is often a metaphor for the spirit, the breath of God. You know, letting the spirit lead me to where he wants me to go. But knowing that journey of your sails up, the spirit blowing is actually supposed to be hard. I think of so many Bible heroes like Maximus in humility. Yeah? Who here went to Sunday school growing up? Maybe it's a bad thing to say, who didn't go to Sunday school growing up? Fantastic. You never experienced the flannel breath. <laughs> I don't know if actually you guys might know that when to Sunday school one that I got a flannel graph ever. Flannel graphs are my favourite things and I'm desperate to make them have, like, have a resurgence. Because 
kids are missing out. They got their iPads in Sunday school now, and they're all got their like multimedia presentation. Multimedia. Anyway, and so the flannel graph was a big piece of flannelette. Who's at flannelette sheets during winter? Best things ever, right? Cool. Kind of not flannelette is. And you got characters cut out of flannelette, and they stuck to the flannelette. So you get these like two-dimensional diorama. Oh, what did you call it? It's a flannel graph. Right. The penny drops, there was an amazing noise. I wish I could sample that. Oh, be a great start to a chorus. Oh, anyway, so um, the flannel graph was amazing because it was like this primitive version of Velcro. And it, it didn't really work, and characters would get lost, and so you'd have Elijah playing every character in the Bible. You have to use your imagination, children. Yes, this is actually little baby, little David. I know he's got old with a beard, but just think he's got a sling. Cool. Same size as Goliath. It's awkward, but use your imagination. Flannel graphs were the best things. I think um, I think of a couple of heroes from the flannel graph days. Moses. Moses gets told by God, go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. Uh, I think God said something more along the lines of, you know, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, ooh, baby, let my people go. <laughs> To which Moses, instead of replying, yeah, 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 went, I'm not a good public speaker. Send my brother. And, uh, and God's like, fine, okay. And it's a bit of like <coughs> timidness in that that is interesting, but I think it's actually a humility. I think it's actually one of the thing, reasons why people follow Moses. Um, I look at David who danced in his underpants. Let me tell you the significance of him dancing in his underpants. Because it talks about his wife being embarrassed, and we all think that's because he's a bad dancer. <laughs> he gets it. <laughs> you know, those of you that are married would have figured this out when you got married, but men's underpants are like dandelions, that they wear them until they can hold them to the window and just blow gently. <laughs> and they disintegrate. Usually your wife fixes that straight away. My wife did. They all went in the bin. You're getting good underpants from now on. Life safe. I don't know how that happens. I think as a youth leader, youth, uh, I used to just go to Coles and grab a seven pack on the way to camp so I didn't have to do any washing. Just pull out these terrible $1 underpants and just wear them until they die, right? No one's going to see me in them. Who cares? They do the job. But, um, David was dancing in his underpants. God loved it. We think, but it was this great King David. Great King David, who it's so important to be a descendant of. Dancing down the pants we go. There's a humility that is very attractive in his character. And there's heroes in the Bible that have a different path. I love, um, Samson, great one on the flannel graph, big muscles. <laughs> Unless we lost Samson and you had to use Elijah again. <laughs> But Samson forgets that the strength comes from God and starts to think the strength's him, yeah? And so, humility finds him. Um, Instead of of him pursuing humility, humility pursues him. He's humbled. Um, I think of um, Peter. It takes forever to figure it out, right? Story after story. Even when the disciples are squabbling over who's going to be on the left and the right hand. Jesus must have been so frustrated. So I believe there's this direct link. If you pursue humility, 
you will be humbled. But if you pursue the opposite, humility finds you. I think that's a really important thing to remember, life lesson. And I can tell you, I've got so many youth ministry stories, and maybe we'll do around the fire tonight, but there's no rain and it's raging. Um, I can tell you some humbling stories. I was actually thinking about the camp food today. We're so blessed with camp food. I mean, people make fun of camp food. This is good camp food. I had a camp that's the youth re- um, renamed Camp Prison Break. <laughs> I just wanted it to be so cheap I could get so many kids there and kids get saved. That was all I wanted as a young youth pastor. Let's get hundreds of kids there and then my boss will think I'm doing a great job because it'll be like busting bus loads of kids. Um, and the chips they gave us, right? If you tip a chip like that, a bubble inside the chip went up. <laughs> and so we're all at the table just like playing with our chips. The hot chips, just like this is, and kids were getting burned from the oil coming out of the chips. Like they were full of, they were hollow and full of oil. You'd never seen anything like it. And then one of my boys, who was third, fourth generation Australian but Asian in appearance, goes to the counter and asks for a fork. And the guy on the counter's like, "When you prefer chopsticks?" And my kid's like, "No, I want a fork." We are so blessed here. I have so many stories. That camp, oh my god. Tanya was in hospital emergency, that whole camp with kids just very into emergency. And I've had 30 camps like that, that was the worst. But I met with a young person recently, they're now at 24. That was the best camp ever, apparently. I don't remember. I, I didn't sleep, I was traumatised, everything went wrong. Humility finds you if you're not humble. Tower of Babel was the example where. People thought they could be God, or at least be equal with God, yeah? And that was the ultimate humility. There's a really interesting idea in the world we live in today. As Matt gave away, and I was praying whether I could even tell you, I am a YouTuber, yeah? Um, I do it for fun, a video each week, yeah? Here's where I insert the request for you to subscribe to my channel. Everything um, that we do online, though, is about building following. It's about getting subscribers, it's about getting likes. It's, if you write a blog, you want people to follow your blog, yeah? Um, there's this... And that's, that's been woven into that script that we pass on to each generation of being born and walking and school and finding love and buying a house and making babies. and Now you've got to build a following as well. And how does that work with this idea that the less humble I am, the more humility is going to find me, and I really don't want that to happen. In the work I do with the charity I work with, I spend a lot of time with young people who are um, in that mentoring program. Um, and mentoring is really challenging because the model we with is a bottom. The model we use is a bottom-up one, but what most people associate with mentoring. So, for example, if one of you wanted to come and be a mentor. You think that you're going to teach a young person from your life experiences and your stories. You're going to talk about camp prison break and how you're never going to create another camp prison break. Um, but the reality is we flip that on its head. And we get to know you. And what do you want to do with your life? And what are you good at? And how can I pour some fertilizer on that? Some manure and see it grow. And... Um, that's a really interesting thing. We had like PWC who came and reviewed us. They were like, wow, we're a little charity started by lay church people. We saved the government something like $8.5 million last year just in um, prison costs. 
So young people that were serial offenders, no longer offenders. Stuff like that. They come and like, wow, you guys are amazing. All we do is sit and listen to the young person and identify, okay, cool. I had a girl hadn't gone to school for two years. And she really wanted to re-engage with school and it took a long time. We started with half days. I kind of deal with the principal, give you half days for three days a week, half days for a full week. Then I asked the girl, how many weeks do you think you could go without missing a day? And she's like six. Okay, that's a weird number. We'll go with that. I don't think she could do it personally, but it's her goal. What can we do to celebrate if we can do six weeks out of the day? She said, can we have a bunch of pancakes on the rocks? Yeah. Deal. <laughs> I'm all over that, right? Now, I wasn't her mentor. I'm the manager of the mentors, but I get to do a lot of the assessments, so I get involved in this conversation. So I was like, can I count? Just imagine you and your mentor. I want to count the pancakes and the rolls for lunch. And so she was like, yes, please, let's do that. And she did, six weeks without missing a day of school. Something unheard of, two days of, two years not leaving a bedroom, yeah? Within a couple of weeks. And going great. She's a couple of years behind now, but she's going to do great. I find that really humbling. I don't think that I have the answers, and I don't think I have the system to make everyone else's life great, but I do love seeing God work in someone else. Through me. I'm not in the authority over the young people. I'm not in authority over any of you guys here. We're equals. And I, I want to get better at listening, which is really hard for an ADHD guy, because I like to hop through a line and I'm ready with my answer. I want to listen, and I want us to be listeners. I find that when I talk to other services, that's the difference we have. And again, remember, when I came into this charity, I was like, this is what the church I thought that was God revealed to me. <clears throat> so I'm so grateful. Not just for the work I did, but there, there was people in my life who did that for me. So I'm a songwriter, and um, there's a couple of people, there was someone I met at Victory Anglican yesterday. And I know that back when I did that worship album in 2001, Victory Anglican was one of the places that sang my songs on my worship album. Still do, sadly. Um, okay, apparently it's beautiful. I, I've grown up, and uh, they, they, they are songs that were really important and uh, mean a lot to some people. And, um, and, uh, but I wrote a church song, and I'd never written a song before. And, it, and it, songs are such a funny thing, those of you that have written songs, and I know there's a lot of musicians here. It's this precious part of yourself, and it's basically attached to you, and if someone doesn't like it, you don't know what to do with it, right? And so, especially when you're new to songwriting, nobody who's just written their first song gets up on every open mic and shares that one song. They know that it's, they could be better, but it's theirs. And I remember sharing my first song with um, a guy I ended up co-writing a lot, with Trevor, who was my Bible study leader. And Trevor wrote a lot of songs for churches around Australia. And Trev, he should have told me it was a bad song. Right? I play the song and he listened start to finish and awesome melody. And I was like, oh, cool. Likes the melody. And then he, instead of going, your lyrics don't make any sense, they're a bunch of strung together Christianese, which is what it was when I look at it in hindsight. Christianese makes sense, right? Yeah. Okay. I don't know if you describe that. You just distracted me, bro. It's, I love that. <laughs> strung together Christianese. He said, let's, let's go through your lyrics. I want to understand them better. That's a cool approach. In hindsight, at the time I was like, okay, he wants to change the song. <laughs> but he put out a pen and a paper and guitar and went through line by line. What does that mean? What are you trying to say there? 
And we ended up with this finished song a couple of hours later, and then my church sang it for like a year. I wanted them to stop singing it after a couple of weeks, because then I was like, I got the writing bug and I started writing songs, and my songs get better and better every time, right? The journey of anything like, if you're pursuing humility, you'll get more humble as you pursue it. My songwriting got better and better as I pursued it. I would have stopped songwriting if that song had just been like, do not songwrite anymore, this is actually a bad song. We don't need another song that has a cool melody that has a bunch of Christianese slung together to sing a church. Yeah? And I thought, you know, I was dipping my toe into someone. I dive in because of that encouragement. And I think of how many times in my youth ministry years as a pastor, and you guys as leaders, and you're all leaders, whether you serve on Sunday or not, there are people coming up behind you that you are to lead. How often do you stop and encourage that dipping of the toe into a passion or a desire? And what could come of it? That moment with Trev made all the difference in my life. You see, the way we engage with someone will set the course, the direction of our relationship. And Trev and I went on to write a whole bunch of songs together. The ones that still get sung at places like Big Channel, and St. Paul's, and Garzy, all these Anglican churches. I had this shop assistant in the US, and he was sharing how we um, lived in the US. I used to go to Cotton On because for some reason they're the only place that made jeans that could fit me. And they claim to be Australian in America. All the advertising is, we're Australian. And then they're inside like, how you going, y'all? And you're like, yeah, you're not Australian. Um, <laughs> but the shop assistant would always say, love your shoes. Where'd you buy them? I can't do the accent, it's offensive. Um, I try to make a deal with Americans. I won't impersonate you if you don't impersonate me. But it's not working. Every time, I love your shoes, where'd you buy them? I love your belt. I can't even see my belt, it's under my shirt, you know. Love your hat, love your glasses, where'd you... Every time I came into the shop, she always... And then I stood in the shop for like half an hour one day, trying on things, and she said it to every single person that came in. And I thought, I don't want to be friends with this person. That's really interesting, like, just how uh, it rubbed me up, this sort of fake encouragement and so on. But the actual stooping down, and as Tanya was sharing earlier, the stooping down to the level of the person we're trying to engage, being at their eye level, and being able to listen to them. The question, instead of, I love your shoes, the question would be, how's your day been? Get me to talk back to you. And you'll, some of mine, will have a great relationship. Maybe I'll buy something, instead of running away. I was at a team meeting recently, and I shared a TED talk with my team. I feel like it's cheating sometimes, but you find a good TED talk and you get yourself out of a team meeting. And it's a life hack for a manager or a boss. And we spent a lot of time talking to young people, so I was like, oh, how to have a good, better conversation. Was that the TED talk was titled, I watched it in my prep time, I was like, cool, that'll do. Threw that on. And um, she has a throwaway line in the middle of it. If you want it, I'll give me your email address, I'll send you the link. But, um, she had this throwaway line in the middle of her talk where she talked about um, all these books about how to like, win friends and influence people, talked about how to get somebody else to feel like you're listening to them. Right? And she's like, if you're actually listening to someone, you don't need to convince them you're listening. Yeah, you don't need to learn any techniques to make them feel listened to. You, don't, you just need to listen. And, and it was such a bizarre, like, of course, right? But you know how much we spend money on courses, trying to professional development, trying to be better listeners and be better speakers, and we just need to do. The way we engage with someone 
will set the course for our relationship. I don't think anyone's ever modeled humility better than Jesus. I'm going to read a big chunk of Philippians 2 to you in a minute. You should know it well. It's best. But nobody has done it better than Jesus. In fact, for me, that is the gospel summed up. Let me read it and we can talk some more. Therefore, whenever you get a therefore, the next bit's important, right? If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any coming sharing in His Spirit, in any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, and being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He pursued humility. Check this out. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place. And he gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The ultimate model of humility. Being in very nature, God took on our form. Made us, took our form. Stepped down to us. And the question Tanya asked was, didn't think, what would happen to me if I went? He knew that answer. He asked, what will happen to them if I don't do that? Can I be honest with you, after 17 years of youth ministry, I've never found anything more unattractive than getting together with other youth pastors. It's like, how big is your youth group? Um, I'm Tim. <laughs> you know, the first question is, um, is competition. It shouldn't be. None of us actually want it. But we get, that's the bit that gets put into our script. When we get to that age, we get a youth pastor's job, and we get like, okay... Church this big should have 100 kids in the youth group. Get to work. Okay. Need more money? <laughs> Don't make the mistakes of those that promote themselves. Don't build towers of Babel out of your ministries or your business or your gifts. 
Be like Jesus. What will happen to them if I don't do that? Value others above yourself. Take an interest and learn from those that you serve. You always have more to learn. And just like there's a link between promoting yourself and humility finding you, there's that link about being humble. If you're humble, you are promoted. Even if it comes to glory at the end. It might not be the way our online communities work. You might not have the most followers online. or I've only got like 230 subscriptions, so should I really call myself a YouTuber? I'll have 300 by the end of this week, yeah? <laughs> the way we engage each other will set a course for our relationship. But even more importantly, the way we engage with Jesus will set a course for our relationship too. Just before I pray for you, this week when you get, this today, you're going to get some time at some point where you can go and sit under a tree, probably get a leech. Just humble yourself. It's okay. Yeah, don't freak out. It's fine. It's just a leech. I'll freak out as well, so it's fine. God made it all. God made it all, and He sat at the top of it, and it was at His feet, and it was how it should be. He took clay, He breathed life into it all at his feet and it was good and then at some point the ones made out of clay thought they could be God and they tried to be where God stood and just buggered it up it wasn't the order loving Narnia to have the old magic if you read like the not just the lines from wardrobe but the stories of Aslan seeing the earth into being putting the rules in place. God was supposed to be at the top and we were supposed to be at his feet. And even pastors and leaders sometimes try to put himself where God should be. I've worked with senior pastors who believe they mediate God to the people. It is a challenge. You very quickly have all these followers that listen to your every word that you start to think that your word is really important. Don't do that. Always seek to be on the level of those who serve. Learn to listen. And bring yourself back to the feet of God as creation needs to return to the feet of God. Yeah? Let me pray for you. Jesus, we exalt you to the highest place. You have the name that is above every name. And those that love and serve you, who are seeking you, or don't want to be in a part of you, will all one day bow a knee before you and say you're Lord. God, would you so a passion for humility in our lives and mine too would we seek to serve those 
and build our churches from the bottom up. Build your ministries from the bottom up. Would we have a heart for the broken? Would we be like the Samaritan? You God, I also want to take this moment to thank Matt for as the leader of this group modeling humility. Would you keep him humble and bless him and bless us and the rest of